Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiasts. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine with insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, helping you improve your game from tea to green. Good morning, welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Epson, LPGA and Legends Tour, and so many others helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and once again, welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside is uh, Legends Tour player and LPGA professional, Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts here uh, on the Women of Golf. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are you? <laughs> A little better than you. You're getting some snow, you said. So uh, batten down the hatches, as they say. <laughs> Welcome to Florida. Well, it's snowing right now. The sun is out. But <clears throat> uh, well, we did get snow last night. Now, just a, a quick note. Yeah, I mean, it's Buffalo, so what do you expect? <laughs> you're, you're the makers of snow. Um, so I, I remember last week you were talking about uh, that the dome is back up. So that's got to be it pretty is, good. Thank uh, everything. God. <laughs> yeah, it was down for what and about a month or a little what? more than a month. Uh, it went back. They opened the dome. I think um, the twenty, not the twenty fifth. I want to say the eighteenth of February, mm-hmm. and they've made the money back that it cost them to put it back up, which wow. was three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, I, I can imagine a lot of people were waiting for that to reopen. So it was probably um, opening the floodgates and just letting them rush in. But that's great. That's fantastic. And and obviously, you know, you had some storms that ran through earlier. Um, I guess it was, what, very early in the year or late last season that took it down, that they actually um, caused it to, to go down? Oh, okay. Wow. So, yeah, so yeah. it's been uh, – Almost a, a couple of months, but uh, it's back up in business, and away you go. All right, we've got a great show for you this morning. We're going to start things off here in just a moment uh, with uh, sort of a, a finalization um, on a topic that we started a couple of weeks ago. I know, Cindy, on the second one, you weren't able to join us. You were doing one of your boot camps, but uh, in the no BS zone, we were talking about becoming a, uh, a better player, um, basically the best player you can be. And uh, we're going to talk about some specific tips to improve your overall game. Um, and I'll get into that in just a moment. And then a little bit later on, we're going to be joined by our very special guest, Dr. Karen Kanwar. She's an LPJ Master Professional. She'll be joining us on the second half of the show. Looking forward to talking to her uh, as she comes on the program. Um, but the, uh, this particular No BS Zone was part of a, a series, or actually part of an article that I did um, the last issue of Golf Tips Magazine, which was the March-April issue, and it was basically designed to uh, point out some 
some things, not just the physical. There were three areas. Remember, we talked about um, the physical, uh, sort of the mental or mind side of the game, and then emotions. And um, this is sort of a wrap-up to that with some specific action points, different things that you can actually do um, while you're on the golf course or even uh, in preparation um, just to become a better player um, and the very best that you can be. So um, we're going to get into that. And the first one, I know we've talked about this many, many times, but it's probably one of the most overlooked aspects of golf. And I believe one of the, the top reasons, I won't necessarily say it's the top reason, but one of the top reasons many high handicap golfers uh, actually struggle, excuse me, out in the golf course. And we're talking about the pre-shot routine. And I, I believe, as I know you've talked about as well a number of times here, and, and I'm sure in your practice, um, developing a solid pre-shot routine is, is really key. Um, and I, I believe it helps to not only calm the mind and body, um, but when done regularly and consistently, um, it gets you prepared for the shot at hand. And once you've gone through that routine and you need to have a consistent routine, you can't just sort of one minute do this and one minute do that. Um, give me your thoughts on that. And then I'm going to follow up with just a couple of other thoughts on that. But tip number one is to develop a solid pre-shot routine. Well, you need to, to your brain needs to know what it's doing when and how so that it doesn't freak out in different pressure situations. So planning a shot and developing a pre-shot routine gives your brain some consistency of, oh, it's time to hit a golf shot. How do I do that? And when you develop your own personal pre-shot routine, it helps you find a comfort zone, if you will, that um, conducive to you and helps you plan, prepare, and produce a shot. Don't you agree? Right. Yeah. And, and I think you want to, I think 20 seconds is really enough um, if done properly. And, you know, there's a lot of different examples out there. You can certainly um, find one that you can certainly copy somebody else's if you find that that works for you. Uh, it's not really part of the assessment. A lot of people confuse this. They, you know, when you first walk up, whether it's on the first tee or out in the fairway somewhere, and you're doing your assessment, that's separate from your pre-shot routine. You're assessing the situation. You're looking to see what kind of lie you have. That, that's not part of your pre-shot routine. A lot of people confuse that. They say, okay, I'm doing my pre-shot routine now, and I'm looking at that. No, your pre-shot routine is actually getting ready to execute the shot based on the decisions of your assessment what you're going to do with your next shot. And that's what the pre-shot. So it might be something like standing behind the ball as an example, you know, finding your, your, your line where you want the ball to go, maybe visualizing quickly the shape of the shot that you want. And then you're going to walk up to the ball uh, and adopt your, your, um, your setup, uh, making sure that you're aligning correctly. And you might do a waggle or two, or you might, uh, you know, move from left foot to right foot, just sort of pivoting back and forth very lightly. And then you are ready to take your shot. You're going to look at the, the target maybe a couple of times. So whatever it is, you, you manufacture your own. And it shouldn't be, I think 20 seconds is enough, maybe a little bit more, but you don't want to be standing over it too much. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, because then you're going to think too much. And then you're done. Right. Yeah, and, and that's, so, give me a really good example. Of, sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought. 
Well, again, I would say, are you going to walk in with your right hand on the club or your left hand? Are you going to um, – so let's say we, we walk up to our ball, and planning it is like, okay, so how far are we? Let's say we're 135. What's the wind doing? It's not blowing. What's our lie look like? It's beautiful. Is there any trouble in front of the green? No. So what's our playable yardage? Meaning it's not windy. It's a perfect lie. There's no trouble in front of the green. Um, I can roll the ball up. It's no big deal. We're going to play at 135. So let's say we hit a seven iron, 135 yards. So we're going to pick a seven mm-hmm. iron. Now we're going to aim right at the middle of the green because the pin's in the middle of the green. Now we start our pre-shot routine. We're going to walk behind the ball. We're going to visualize where we want to start the ball. So we may pick out a target right in front of the ball that's, you know, a couple of funny colored pieces of grass. We may look at the target and maybe draw a visual mental line from the target to the ball. Now, you walk into the ball, most tour players walk in the ball with their right hand on the club. So that would be, well, wait a minute. No, am I going to walk into the ball with both hands on the club or one hand? And if I walk in the ball with one hand, is it my right hand or my left hand? Am I walking into the ball with open stance, meaning I'm, I'm, you know, open to the target, or am I square? Do I walk in the ball and put my club down first or my seat down first? 99% of the players put the club down first because the club is what hits the ball. So right. most players then open with their right hand on the club, so let's do that. Walk in, open. Right hand on the club, set the face down first. Don't put your feet down yet. Make sure the face is square to the target so you would take a peek. So set the face down, look at the target. You know, say to yourself, okay, am I good? How do you know if you're good? Well, you can see the target and you feel like you're aimed at the target. Great. Now put your feet down. Perfect. Now set your hands on, both hands on. Now get comfortable with your setup. Now take another peek at the target. Make sure you're comfortable you know, then say, okay, am I good? Yeah, am I good? Now it's swing thought time. So I pretend I'm spiked to a pole and then it's swing, hinge, kill. So it mm-hmm. doesn't take even 20 seconds. It right. probably takes 12. So because that sounded too confusing and I went off the deep end, I'm going to do it from start <laughs> to finish. Right. So I'm at my shot. What's the yardage? 135. What's the lie look like? It's perfect. There's no wind. It's 75 and sunny. There's no bunker. There's no nothing. There's no trouble. It's a perfect situation. I hit my 7-iron 135. It's a 7-iron. Grab the 7-iron. Walk behind the ball. Pick out my target. I can see it. Visualize it. Everything's perfect. I walk into my ball with my right hand on the club. I'm a little bit open because I'm right-eye dominant. And I set the face down. I see where I'm going. I put my feet down. I put my left hand on. I take one more peek. I'm very comfortable. I look back down. Now, my swing thought is I'm spiked to a pole, which makes me stay still. And then while I'm swinging, it's swing, hinge, kill. So those are my swing thoughts. Why do I have swing thoughts? Screams in the middle of my swing. Look out. Be careful. Oh, my God. Don't miss it. So... (laughs) I always have swing thoughts to uh, be aware of the demon who happens to be Cynthia. So everyone has swing thoughts. Uh, 
because your brain can only hear one thing at a time. So right, right. It should take no more than ten, twelve seconds. Right. But it has to be yeah, comfortable and, and, to you. Yeah, and you, you you were obviously laying out um, from a mental standpoint the various components to it. Obviously, you're not going to be necessarily thinking all of those things. Um, they're going to come naturally as you develop, and that's why it's important to develop that pre-shot routine. And a great place to do that is when you're on the practice tee. Uh, get that pre-shot routine down so that when you step up and overanalyzing everything, you're just doing the steps in motion that you just talked about, um, and you're doing them consistently and repetitively. Um, I mean, time and time again, you know, we see even on the tour when somebody gets out of their routine, it's very noticeable because they will stop um, and reset and redo their pre-shot routine. When something throws them off, whether it's be uh, noise in the crowd or uh, something else is, has, uh, you know, squawking bird or what have you, they will go through that pre-shot routine again because they've come out of that thought process. So it's important to really work on that. And the reason why is it helps to give you consistency and it helps to calm you down. If you're all over the place between pre-shot routines, so one way you do it the way Cindy just described, one way you do it a different way, um, and you're doing that back and forth, back and forth, or you're maybe throwing a third version in, what happens is you get out of your natural rhythm. Um, and you're not suddenly comfortable over the ball any longer. And a really good example is I remember, Cindy, you probably recall this several years ago, um, uh, Sergio Garcia used to stand over for an incredibly long time. Of course, he's on the PGA Tour. And he would be on over that ball 30 times before he actually took the shot. And, I mean, he got called out many, many times for slow play because of that, because they put, kept putting him on the clock. And that's an example of somebody that was not comfortable over the ball for whatever reason, whatever was going through. So it's important to really focus on developing that pre-shot routine. And you can take something that you see uh, another player doing on TV. Uh, maybe you might want to adopt some of those um, and make it your own, but you've got to get it down pat so that you're consistent between every shot, that you're doing that same routine and do the same thing with, with putting. Do the same thing on the putting surface as well. You want to make sure you, you follow through your pre-shot routine for that as well. And it, you'll find it will help. Um, tremendously to be able to uh, become a better player. All right, we're going to move on to the next one, uh, staying on task. Um, this is always a good one too, Cindy, uh, to be sure to always stay focused on the task at hand and not the outcome. You, you've talked about this many, many times on the program over the years, is quit focusing on the outcome and focus on the task at hand. Do you want to expand a little bit? Well, we all want to hit good shots. We all want to shoot good scores. But unless you know how to swing the club, the club is what tells the ball what to do. And so if you don't tell the club what to do, you don't tell the ball what to do. If you can tell the ball what to do, you can tell, then you can shoot a better score. So, again, everybody wants a trophy. Everybody wants to win. But... If you think about, you know, again, how many people have stood on the 16th hole and said, well, if I just bogey the next two, I can break 100 or I can break 90 or I can break 80 or I can break 70. And then you go double-double and you blow it. And so you can't think ahead. You have to stay in the present moment and the task at hand, which is swinging the club. So I 
um, again, my evil twin is Cynthia. And when Cynthia goes, oh, don't blow this. You're three under par. You could win the tournament. How much money will you make? Blah, 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 blah. I'm now very aware of my evil twin's voice. So I trick myself and say, you are not three under par. You're 12 over. Shut up and hit the ball, right? Stay focused on the task at hand and let's just swing the club. Because I am, um, I know Cynthia all too well and she helps me blow it. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, and that that's going to be on our next uh, uh, tip we're, we're going to talk about here in just a moment. Just one final thought. So, you know, going back a little bit to what we were just talking about with the pre-shot, focuses here and, uh, and helping you to stay on task as well. So once a decision has been made, once you've decided, okay, I've got the yardage, no wind, so on and so forth, it's now time to choose your strategy for the shot. Then align your shot, go through your pre-shot routine, trust and be confident in the decision you made, then perform your swing. So you want to stay on the task, not thinking about all of these other things. Forget about your score. Forget about all this thing um, during this moment because you're there to, to execute whatever shot is needed at that particular moment. You're not thinking about the shot. Um, you know, you've already thought, okay, I need to put myself in a position. That's okay. But once you get ready to um, go into the next phase, then you've made that, once the decision has been made, what kind of shot I need to, to do at this particular time then you start going through that routine and you stay on that task. You don't start floundering and, and going all over the place. And that's something that, again, a lot of people have a, a difficulty with. Tip number three, as I mentioned, is, is something else, is thought control, managing your thoughts. So as you would in, in a play, think of yourself as the director of your thoughts. So if you're like most golfers, you probably have thousands of positive and negative thoughts going through your head during a typical round of golf. And that's <laughs> the point that you just talked about. It's true. I mean, is it not true? And I've, I've said, totally and, and that's why I'm laughing. Right. And, and, you know, we talk about that, that bringing the baggage from past rounds or past holes. Uh, that's a, a thing that's, you know, some of the negative thoughts. I mean, it's okay to have some positive thoughts. Hey, you know, I've, I really played these last couple of holes. Great. It's nice to, to give yourself a little pat in the back, but let it go. Now you're on the next shot. This shot is the one, the one that you're doing right now is the one that counts. So tell yourself, that just because a thought comes through your mind doesn't mean it's necessarily true, uh, and it's your choice whether you stay with the thought or not, um, and particularly let go of self-defeating thoughts and choose self-enhancing thoughts, as I just mentioned. Uh, and I think if you practice that during your, your next round, I think you're going to be well on your way to becoming a, the best golfer you can be. Um, your thoughts here, I mean, I know you're laughing, but you know, you're, that's exactly what you were just talking about, is the fact that you've got sort of that evil twin that comes in and says, oh, Cindy, you're not going to make this shot, or that's, that's you know, uh, you've got to think of where you are in the money list, or you've got to think about where you are in the tournament, and, you know, and, and you get all these negative thoughts coming in, and that takes you away from focusing on the task at hand, right? Yeah, it does. And, again, um, <clears throat> here, here's what I'm going to say. Jody Brothers last week, or two weeks ago, whenever it was, was it, it was last, last week. week. Last week. Yeah, he was, um, I want to hang out with him a lot. He was so wise. <laughs> and right. I, I've got, I put his pinpointed deficiencies on a sticky note, and it's sitting right on my computer. Mm. If you have the courage to look in the mirror, to pinpoint your personal deficiencies, and most people don't. Most people don't want to look in the mirror and say, oh, no, 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 I don't screw that up. Well, yeah, you do. And if, if you're a golfer, 
you're looking at your stats all the time. So many of my junior, they don't want to look at their stats. I'm like, well, how are you going to measure what you need to improve? And and it's right. funny because Alan was looking up um, something about the combine, the Bills combine, and saw an article about Josh Allen and how they chose Josh Allen to be our quarterback. And he was very open to looking at his deficiencies. Oh, isn't that funny? You know, so the more open you are to looking at your deficiencies, the more you're willing to work at them. And when you're willing to work at those, then you're not afraid of those. But if you shove them under the bed or under the table, then they can come back and bite you. So if you're aware of the boogeyman, then you can say, I understand that. So, Again, I've been to more shrinks than most people, and the best one yet was, you know, to name that witch, which is where I came up with Cynthia. And she said, the woman said to me, you can't tell her to shut up because she won't. And so she said, you have to say to her, you know, Cindy's busy hitting this shot right now because your brain can only hear one voice at a time. So if Cindy's talking, Cynthia can't be heard, which is why I have swing thoughts on spikes of the pole, swing, hinge, kill. You got it? So if I'm busy talking to myself with my good thoughts, which is, okay, I know that there's water there, and I'm going to make a clear decision because I'm not sure I can carry the water. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to lay up. I'm going to hit the right club to lay up so now I don't have clenched butt cheeks while I'm standing over the shot, right? So all these Mm -hmm. things get minimized because I'm thinking the right thoughts within my own skill set. So, so many of these things matter because you have to have the courage to pinpoint your deficiencies and see them and then make clear decisions and then plan, prepare, and produce shots. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important. And the thing is, you know, people, like you said, run away from deficiencies, but really, it's a learning opportunity when you have deficiency knowing what they are is actually puts you in a position of strength because now you can say, okay, now I know uh, I've looked at my stats. I see that my putting's a little sketchy. You know, maybe my short game overall is not that good. Now I know what I need to really work on. That doesn't mean you don't work on the other areas of your game and keep them up to snuff, but you, you, by knowing your deficiencies in your own game and really understanding and being honest with yourself and realistic, puts you in a position to be able to work with your, your coach or your instructor and saying, okay, these are the things that we've identified. So these are some things that we need to be really focusing on at this particular time. Um, and, and, you know, when we've listened to many of the young ladies that have come on, uh, whether it be from the Epson or even the LPJ tour over, over the last several years, you know, you'll hear them go through that thought process. You know, when we ask them, uh, you know, the question, what, what's your strengths and weaknesses of your game? They're clearly able to, you know, it's not, well, I don't really know. You never hear that. They always say, you know, my driver is my strong suit or, you know, my putting's not too good. Or they can clearly identify the weaknesses in their game because they pay attention to those stats. And then they know, you know, I've got to work on my putting a little bit more. And if I do that, then I'm going to, you know, I'm more likely going to increase my chances of winning on tour. Um, and the average person out there um, doesn't do that. The average high handicapper out there, um, they focus on that one good tee shot, they hit the whole round, the rest of it they can't remember. 
or they choose not to remember, you know, because maybe it wasn't that good. But if they isolated some of those areas and really drilled down on them, they could then go to the practice tee or to with their, their uh, you know, swing instructor, and they can say, okay, here's some things I've noticed the last couple of rounds I've been out I'm really struggling with. And then they can put together, can put a game plan together to work on those areas. Um, and, and, you know, the thought control managing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when you, when you, I always equate this to sort of a regular job. You know, if you go in in preparation to uh, conduct a meeting, you know, you prepare for that meeting. You get all the facts together and all the information together and you put it, to, you know, in, in, a, in a form um, where now you're, you're relaying that information out to your colleagues. Um, but if you just go in there blindly and you haven't prepared anything, how are you going to know what to talk about? And you're sort of floundering all over the place. And that's what most people do, unfortunately, and that's why they struggle with this game and end up ultimately, in some cases, giving up. Um, we're going to move on to the last one because I, we're getting close to time here. Um, tip number four, and this is the last one, is anxiety management. Remove stress. So once begin to recognize your troublesome thoughts, as we just talked about, that lead to worrying before and during your performances, it becomes easy to manage anxiety levels. Some effective techniques might involve, for example, some deep breathing, uh, visualizing imagery. Uh, this can effectively help to reduce your stress levels and produce a degree of calmness and focus. A relaxed mind and body uh, will result in a smooth, fluid, and effective stroke. So um, that just sort of sets the tone for what we're talking about. Um, what are some things that you do, Cindy, um, when you're out there or when you have been out there in the past too, uh, playing in a tournament to help keep that anxiety level? How do you manage your anxiety when you're out in the golf course? I breathe. I try not to speed too much um, and walk too fast. I try to slow everything down because I happen to be, you know, fast at everything. Mm-hmm. I try sometimes I tighten everything up really, really, really tight, and then I just relax it all. I'll take some slower practice swings, and I, sometimes I'll go one and two and, you know, just slow down. Um, right. But breathing, walking slow, tightening things up, relaxing, thoughts. You know, this is not that big a deal. We've been yeah. here before. Take a chill pill. Again, blowing it and losing is the best thing that can ever happen. Again, you know, Jody brother, learning to lose. Yep. Losing. Well, and even great. even young, right? And even young Natalie last week, uh, your your junior golfer. You know, she's obviously had some success in her career thus far, uh, but she's obviously had more situations where she didn't finish in as high uh, of a spot maybe that she wanted to, but she's learning from it and she's becoming a better golfer and a better person as a result of it because she's learning to recognize, you know what, I'm not going to win every week or I'm not going to maybe get in the top 10 every week in these tournaments that I'm playing in. And the takeaway is, am I learning something from that experience? And, you know, one of the other things too, I just want to add going back to, um, you know, removing the stress. One of the things that you can do, um, is pay attention. If you understand your body, your natural body rhythm, we talked about that in the past, um, where you know some players have a, a much quicker pace and, and uh, a little faster pace, and others are sort of a, a little slower, like a, an Ernie Els or a Freddie Couples. Um, one cure, a quick sign that something is amiss is if you're somebody that has sort of a, uh, a little more, and I call it mellow, 
sort of natural body rhythm, if suddenly you notice yourself speeding up or quickening the pace, that usually is a good indicator that you're out of sync. And that adds to the stress level. It usually means that you're stressed because you're, you're anxious now, your anxiety levels have, have spiked, and you're starting to not go through, suddenly you're not going through your pre-shot routine that you once did, you're quickening the pace, you're shortening it, you're cutting things, steps out that you typically had in the past, and you're thinking a thousand different thoughts. So all of these things play um, a role in, in increasing your anxiety and increasing your stress levels. And these are things that you have to focus on. And people, you know, maybe listening to this are saying, gosh, it's a lot to, to take on. But if you pick them, if you take these four steps and you really analyze them and apply them to your own game and come up with a game plan, and this is something, again, why it's important to work with a professional because they can help you isolate some of these things based on the information you give them, and they can put some uh, a plan together and help you find some steps to overcome some of these different areas. And then once you do that, now you've put in a, a solid practice routine you're able to manage your thoughts more effectively. You're able to focus and stay on task, and then you're able to ultimately um, remove that stress. And I think in closing, it's important for you to equip yourself with these strategies and tips to really help regain the calm, clear uh, mind during your round. Um, and if you want to be a peak performance, uh, uh, again, whether you're playing at a, a tour level or whether you're just playing in your local club championship, if you want to be a better player, you've got to really focus on these areas and understand them. Don't start mixing it up when you're out in the golf course. Work on those things when you're on the practice tee or with your coach, and then apply them as you get out on the golf course. Um, and I think you'll find um, that you're be- going to become the best player that you can be. Final thoughts, Cindy? Nope, I totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, and, and, I, and you know, I know we're trying to make it sound like it's real easy. Uh, you know, just do it. Um, um, and it's not. We, we recognize that's why we're bringing these, these points to you um, and allowing you an opportunity to help your game. I mean, you know, Cindy, we understand and recognize your physical game is certainly important. You have to be able to hit the ball and hit it straight and so on and so forth. Uh, but there's other parts of your game, your emotions, your, uh, the mental side of your game, if you will, or the mind game. Um, that can play as big, if not more of havoc on becoming a better player is what thoughts are going through your mind. So you have to focus on those things. All right, we're going to wrap up the no BS zone, take a quick break and hear a message from Golf Tips Magazine. And then we're going to be back with our very special guest, uh, Dr. Karen Kenwar. We'll be right back. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Women of Golf. Uh, you're with uh, myself, uh, Ted Odorico, and uh, my fellow host, uh, Cindy Miller, LPJ professional Cindy Miller. And we're uh, just finished talking uh, about uh, some tips to help your overall game in the OBS zone as we wrapped up a part of a series, if you will, of, of three 
uh, episodes, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to go back and listen to them and sort of piece them together and help you become that better player. But now we're going to move on to our very special guest interview with uh, Dr. Karan Kanwar. I'll tell you a little bit about her. She is an LPJ Master Golf Instructor, uh, teaching golf for over 34 years. Uh, she's also the winner of the National Championship in India. Uh, she holds a BS in Physics and Math, MS Sports Science and Nutrition, as well as a PhD in uh, Kinesiology uh, with Biomechanics and Anatomy. Uh, developer of the world's only research golf swing, the Minimalist Golf Swing, which gives all skill levels of golfers better performance and less injury risk. Uh, and she was also the India's first female golf instructor in 1980, uh, 1989, excuse me, uh, and the project manager of the RNA-funded Golf for Health Aging uh, Research Study and chair of the golf department at Stanton University in California. So please welcome uh, our very special guest, Cindy, uh, Dr. Karan Kenwar. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for having me, both of you. We're so glad you're, you're here. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Karan, for joining us uh, this morning on the Women of Golf. We appreciate it. Um, if you don't mind, Cindy, I'm going to go first. I, I, it, it intrigued me because I re, I've, I've seen many of your videos online and, and that you talk about uh, really uh, the minimalist golf swing. Maybe you can kind of just give us a, and I know you can't show it obviously here in, on the air, but uh, maybe you can just describe a little bit about what you're talking about to start things off. What are you referring to sort of the minimalist golf swing? Yeah, so it began like oh, 30 years ago. And as I was India's first female golf instructor, it was a time when you only had women and kids come to you because you were not good enough to have male students, right? So I'd have all these quite athletic-looking uh, women and kids, but they just couldn't even make contact. How can you not even make contact? And then over time, because it's very frightening to throw out the perceptions that we have about golf for centuries. I mean, since the time of the Shepherds of Scotland, we haven't rethought the golf swing from ankle to neck kind of a thing. So over time, I threw out some of the old ideas, and now they're all completely thrown out. Because And then I went to grad school and learned all about the movement sciences, especially anatomy and motor control that are little talked about compared to biomechanics. And I realized, hey, we really don't need all these movements. So what the swing uh, requires is that your head, your torso, and your legs are as still as possible. And you make a movement which is very wide and free with your arms. And many ask, is that not an arm swing? Uh, first of all, no, because the arms are wide and that makes your very powerful pecs and lats muscles stretch and then they contract forcefully in the downswing. Uh, so they give you a lot. They are capable exactly what Tiger is doing these days. He's producing the speed and power from his arms and core. He could get it a little better uh, if I had the opportunity to work with him. But basically, it is very misunderstood that you need to move your legs all over the place your head moves everywhere. You just need a very stable head, torso, and legs in your backswing, a nice, wide, free movement with your arms, and it can generate a lot of power while at the same time reducing your injury risk because you're not trying to undo all the movement that you made in your backswing in just a mere one-third second that the downswing lasts. So basically, don't move the body, head, legs, and move the arms nice and free. But there's a lot more detail but uh, that's the basic sure. uh, concept so let me just let me just follow up a little bit because i want to ask you this 
So essentially what you're saying, if I, if I understood what, what you just um, uh, discussed correctly, is typically what most golfers are doing now that are not adopting this particular principle is their body is not actually moving in a natural movement. They're actually sort of manufacturing movements in order to uh, create that swing. So what you're proposing here, what you're discussing here is based on your research that you've done for, for many, many years is that the way the body actually moves, the minimalist swing that you're taught that you just talked about is really a natural movement of the body is the true natural movement of the body. Not all these other, you know, as you mentioned, the arms and the, and the head and, and the legs moving in all these different directions. Is that, did I understand you correctly? Well, I wouldn't say it's natural because it's, this is a question I've asked for decades to every uh, golfer I meet for the first time. Why is your trail shoulder lower at address and once again lower at impact, but you raise it at the top of your backswing? And the simplest response I've ever received, which is really the correct one, I guess I raise my arm, so I raise my uh, uh, body as well, and that's how you move the body. But you ha- it's not completely natural, but it's very easy to do. You have to keep your lead um, shoulder higher and your trail shoulder lower throughout the backswing. That's a slightly um, difficult-to-grab concept. But other than that, um, it is uh, unnatural for the body to move so much, the torso, specifically the hips and the shoulders, because the brain allocates the minimum resources of all its resources for torso movement. The reason being that historically as hunter-gatherers, you're running away from enemy or you're plucking fruit. And so the brain allocates maximum resources for the face, the tongue, the face, all the movements that you need to make, the arms and the legs, and very minimal uh, movement for resources, which are very slower to act for the torso. And we want the torso to bend forward, bend sideways and rotate. And that's a bit much of an expectation. In the backswing, yes, you can do it all. But how do you undo it in the correct sequence every single time in the downswing? Got it. Um, So let me ask you one question then, Cindy, I'm going to turn it over to you for for, um, a second or two. Um, Should women, because we are obviously... uh, anatomically in some ways different than one another uh, between men and women, should they be using a different swing uh, or does it matter? I'm glad you asked because this swing works wonderfully well for women, myself included, because I've never been a strong, powerful hitter of the ball. I don't have the gene pool historically uh, to have enough fast (laughs) twitch muscle to be stronger and faster. But if it works for me, it can work for anyone. And it, what it does for women is because there's less moving around, you always make the low point of your swing very easily. You get instantly better trajectory and you get better distance, therefore. And that is a big issue with most women golfers, not the very athletic ones like I'm sure Cindy is. But most average mm-hmm. women golfers have a big problem with distance. And mainly it comes from the trajectory that they are unable to get. I always joke that men kind of smother the ball. I mean, women smother the ball while men bludgeon it into submission. They take out this huge, big divot. So the ball has to ride out of it somehow. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's great. Cindy, go ahead. Let me make sure I understand. If I hear you correctly, you're saying swing the arms back and through as wide as you can and allow the body to follow, yes? So in the backswing, yes, you're wide with your arms, your body is as still as possible. 
But the downswing, if you look at somebody executing this movement, would look like any typical ball swing. You couldn't tell the difference because you just allow your motor, you get to a, the right position at the top of your backswing, and your motor control system, as soon as you've practiced the swing a little bit, even 10, 15 minutes, immediately your motor control system is taking over and making sure, because your eyes are looking at the ball, that your club is delivered to the ball. And with this movement, you can be guaranteed that it will arrive from an inside pass because you're locking out your body's ability to make over-the-top contact. So, yes, it seems like there's no movement throughout, but that's not true. It's only the backswing that the body is still and the arms are free. The downswing is just what you would expect from any typical golf swing. So I totally agree because the body's still going to follow. I mean, there's no way your body's going to be totally still. Exactly, Agreed? yes. Yes, absolutely. The brain knows exactly. It can see with the eyes where the ball is and knows exactly where to deliver the club, which is why once you've played a little bit, even the first hour of your game, your brain knows what to do overall. You don't have to give it instructions in the um, tiny amount of time that you have to make your golf swing if, if you position your joints correctly at the top. I get it. I agree. And- <laughs> Yeah, Corinne, one of the things I want to ask you as well is, you know, golf is, has become a game um, where, unlike so many other sports that are more physically challenging in the sense like football, baseball, and that where you're, uh, maybe it's a contact sport, as we get a little bit older, um, certain sports sort of fall by the wayside. We just can't do them anymore. Um, so many golfers have have it sort of on their bucket list, if they haven't already engaged in playing golf, are interested in trying golf. So how should older golfers go about it? What's the best way for them to sort of, uh, you know, dip their their toe in the water, as as we would say? Yes. So first of all, they should not make the typical golf swing, which is, as the pros are playing it, getting more and more uh, filled with so many different movements that have to all be coordinated. They need something where, they get early success because, I mean, it's like you're already older and you're trying it for the first time. You don't want to be uh, whiffing the ball for days before you uh, get it up in the air. You need early success. You need to be able to bottom out at the same spot so you see the ball go up in the air. And at the same time, I ask this question to lots of seniors because I've done a lot of seniors' research that uh, why don't you play golf? So many say, you know, I've never, uh, I don't have much injury. Suppose I get injured. I mean, everybody, even though it's not a contact sport, these days people do uh, associate the golf swing with injury. And they say, suppose I get injured from golf. So this swing that I recommend would give you early uh, success in performance, but more importantly, it would reduce your risk. I mean, you cannot Uh, not have uh, any injury because we don't know what injury already exists in your soft tissue, but it will give you reduced Mm -hmm. risk for injury, which is very important when you're not, uh, when you're starting golf at an older age. Let let me follow up on that. Yeah, I I agree hundred percent. You know, we're seeing this um, particularly more on the men's tour, as you pointed out, you know, you're seeing, um, and I equate it as a power game, you know, they're trying to muscle the ball out there and they're really, um, you know, driving through and, and I, again, having to coordinate, um, you know, the body movements in such a way in order to, to make it successful. So obviously I would then suggest that it's a fact that obviously injury in a case like that is, is it highly in, inevitable uh, part of playing that particular game. 
and what you're proposing with sort of a minimalist is not to say that you may or may not uh, still um, derive some injury, again, depending on what uh, past uh, your hit past history is, going to greatly reduce because, again, you're not really forcing a lot of these movements. Did I, is that a correct assessment as well? And what can you do, um, again, going back to the earlier question with, with older golfers, what can they do to sort of help to prevent um, you know, getting uh, or reducing the, the level of, of injuries that they potentially could get? Is there anything they can do? Well, for older golfers, typically you, it's always been said, though there's no research uh, to prove it, that you must have a decent warm-up. And people just rush onto the first tee, grab their shoes, put them on, and go hit the first ball. A little bit of warm-up to warm up your muscles, uh, get the blood circulating throughout the body is always good. Uh, and you hit a few balls before you start. That's ideal. But also just because you reduce the number of movements that you have to make, it's much less likely to cause injury. And it's not just that older golfers would benefit from a swing with less movement. Look at the young. Look at Will Zalatoris had two discs herniated at around his 26th birthday. But the difference is that the pros are being told to make even more complex movements that the amateurs, nobody thinks of telling them to make because people say they're not capable of it. Well, the pros should not be capable of making all these, should not have to make all these complex movements either. How can a fit person who works out two, three hours a day get injured? So uh, what price all that fitness workout that you do if you're still getting injured? I mean, you know, how, how can it be? If you look at those Rotowire or any of those websites where they report weekly withdrawals, Every week, there's some pro with low back injury, shoulder injury, ankle injury, wrist injury. What's going on? And most of them are non-contact. It's not, okay, occasionally you might bang your club into a tree root without knowing it. But how can it be mm. that they're constantly getting injured and wasting so much time coming back and maybe they never come back to their full form? Yeah, Surely and, and that's true. And, and just, and, yeah, no, no I, I agree. And, 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 you know, Karen, the thing that I've noticed, too, is when you look back, you know, 30 or so years ago when players like Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas and, you know, Nancy Lopez and some of those earlier, um, you know, the swing was certainly different looking than what we see today. I don't ever remember, maybe it's just me, but I don't ever remember, you know, seeing a lot of those players withdrawing as much as you see in today's game with injuries. I'm not saying they didn't, you know, have some stiff joints here and there, but I, I don't. Is is it because of that the game is becoming again? I hate to use the term power game because that they're being forced. To, not that is probably not the best word to use, but sort of encouraged is maybe a better word to move into some of these more complex movements that's ultimately increasing the level of uh, risk to injury. Because I don't ever remember seeing golfers, you know, thirty, forty years ago having the same difficulties and struggles, and yet they were uh, very successful in their careers. Um, what are your thoughts here between what we saw 30, 40 years ago and what were – is that an accurate uh, uh, analogy, do you think? So people like Brandel Shambly are always saying the classic swing, which people played many decades ago, was much safer than the modern swing, which it was because you had more space and maybe therefore time within which to undo all your movements. The modern swing was so compact – that your joints had to undo it because your feet were stuck on the ground to a greater extent and you had to undo everything. But then the modern, the swing that's being taught today 
has so much movement it's much more like the classic swing where you can move your feet you can move your body you can twist and turn and do everything that people did so many decades ago so why should a similar swing to what people did decades ago still cause injury and the answer is that the clubs and the development of the body are allowing these golfers to swing faster and whenever you swing faster all the soft tissue of your body uh, is getting bigger loads and therefore it's it can take less cycles or repetitions before it gets injured and really those movements nobody has thought laterally do we really need the movements what movement must we have in the legs what movement must we have in the torso to be successful it's like exercise do you really need 3 hours of exercise you need 10000 steps why not tell us humans who are practically sick and tired of exercise what the minimum amount is like if you told me i need 500 steps a day i'd go out right now and do those 500 steps but when you tell me 10000 and nothing less will do then it's a little uh, unnerving you know so nobody yeah. has researched the minimum amount of uh, golf swing or the minimum amount of exercise you need to get by you're you're preaching the truth karan <laughs> you know <laughs> it, it's so true and and, and sinia uh, go ahead and, and jump in but um just very quickly on that note you know it's so true i mean you know obviously we want to all improve um in in every aspect of our life our physical uh, life and that becoming more physically fit and things but there is if you look at the, a lot of the players now particularly in golf i mean they're really getting you know hard and heavy into um workout routines and things like that that some of them are probably getting as you said some soft tissue injury in the workouts alone and then by the time they come on the golf course they're just exacerbating that but um Cindy go ahead and and uh, jump in well i totally agree i mean do you really need to hit it 350 yards and um so my question to you is because you and i teach normal people who just want to enjoy and play the game of golf how quickly do you get people on the golf course with your minimalist golf swing Oh well if they're total beginners obviously it has the learning curve but I will ha- I can show improvement to an existing golfer in the very first lesson and in fact I don't offer packages because I believe why do I need them to come 10 times if I can improve them in four or five or six times especially if those times are very you know close to one another I don't need to see them forever and ever because because there's so few movements it's very easy for you to quickly diagnose oh i did this or oh i did that there are not 10000 mistakes you can make so it's easier to, and and also people always ask me this cindy that why do you need to hit it three hundred yards but no it's a misunderstanding of the muscle capability of the body this swing looks like there's less movement in the back swing and there is less movement but the shoulder joint has very big powerful muscles the pecs and the lats that are attached to it and as soon as the arms drop down these muscles also pull forward your uh, serratus anterior of your shoulder blade and your external oblique of your trail side all trail side muscles and you get all the power you need without any wasted motion so it's not what people typically think of as an arm swing and tight and restricted it's really got big muscles involved so once one understands the anatomy of the body you really don't need the legs to be i always give the example that your uh jump onto a truck that's moving really fast and you're trying to cast your fishing rod into a tiny little pond will your fishing rod get into the pond or will it just land somewhere by the road because you're driving so fast you might miss the fishing pond as you move your body all over the place 
these are big body parts, the torso, the legs, to undo in the downswing in the one-third second that lasts. And you really don't need any of those muscles. You're misusing or um, doing more than surplus to requirements kind of a thing. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Very interesting. Um, I know you've done a lot of research on the physical game, but as I mentioned in the, uh, the opening uh, credits, uh, you've also uh, studied in nutrition. This is an area, too, that – and certainly we, we want people to have fun and get out and enjoy themselves, but is there any tips that you might want to give from a nutritional standpoint for people that, to be able to play a better game? I mean, a lot of times they get out there and they're – you know, when it comes to the turn, you know, they're eating a, a chili dog and not really eating uh, as healthy, and I'm not looking for – you know, necessarily to, to write a script that they have to change their entire lifestyle, that's up to them. But are there some suggestions to help make the rounds a little bit better, what they can do nutritionally to make it a little bit more successful for them? Yes, absolutely. The first thing is the hydration, and you really must hydrate. And there's formulas of how you start uh, hydrating four hours in advance, and then you one hour, and then you keep hydrating throughout the course. Uh, the other important thing is, as you say, at, uh, at the halfway house or nine holes, I grew up in India, so everybody would insist on sitting for an hour to have. They'd plan it so it's lunchtime by the time you've done nine holes. And they would have those heavy biryani-type things that are oily and heavy. And I wondered to myself, how do these people even walk? And in, in India, it's still a walking game. How do they walk for nine more holes without uh, – how do they focus? So you certainly don't want to eat all those heavy, oily, fatty foods. You want light carbs, which will give you slow burn energy. Uh, bananas and dates are typically said, but probably they're boring for most people. So at least sandwiches, which give you your slow burning carbs and nothing very heavy or fatty or oily in between your 18 holes. Oh, a snack on some nuts, stuff like that, and keep small snacks going. You watch the pros and that's what they're doing. They're hydrating on uh, those Gatorade, Powerade type things which uh, have been scientifically designed to have just the right amount of sugar and no more, and the right amount of electrolytes to replace what you sweat. But again, let's face it, when you're driving in a cart, all those things don't matter that much. You just should not be overdoing any fatty or oily food, so your focus still remains on your game, and uh, you're not uh, heavy and lethargic playing the back nine. Maybe some good advice would be if you're insistent on having some of those fatty, oily foods, maybe wait until at the end of the round when you're in the 19th hole uh, and you've finished. In other words, eat a little bit better throughout the round to keep that energy uh, up and, and in good form. And then if you're insistent on having that, that chili dog or that hamburger or whatever, maybe wait until you get into, back into the clubhouse. Would that be maybe a better route? Not that it's going to be any healthier for you, but maybe that might be a bit, little bit better and giving a more successful uh, opportunity out in the golf course. What do you think? Exactly. That's exactly 100% a fact because let's face it, most of us really don't want to and cannot realistically change our entire lifestyle to just to play better golf because, I mean, typically it's thought of as a game where you're good tomorrow and uh, uh, bad the day after. So, I mean, why the heck would you change your decades of dietary habits? You just need... To be a little sensible about it, eat lighter stuff, eat some fruit, eat some nuts, keep snacking on stuff, uh, and then at the end, do what you like because, I mean, you're here for the fun of it. Most people, uh, even even for those people keeping scores and when it matters, uh, they don't need to do anything very drastic. I mean, that's what I believe. It shouldn't be drastic about 
anything in golf otherwise it gets too painful to uh, unless you're a pro <laughs> and believe that you need to torture yourself why should you <laughs> well said uh Cindy any final thoughts or comments or questions no but I love your attitude and I think you're right on target <laughs> yes the only problem is I don't know how to pass the word around because I'm a mere older brown skin female but other than that uh, I have a product that's really uh, worth uh, every golfer every skill level from tiger to tyro adopting because I've got the proof of it for through many years of research that it works absolutely well absolutely karen how how can we for those listening to the show if they want to reach out or how can they go and learn more information about what you're talking about here today uh do you have a website they can go to or a, a youtube channel or something that uh, they can go and visit what's the best way if they want to reach out to you and get more information the best way is through my website yourgolfguru.com it's not fully functional for some reason right now but the contact button works and they can email me and then my uh, website channel is the my youtube channel is the minimalist golf swing system system because it's works for full swing and short game as well and there are tons of youtube videos and people are getting ideas enough to um, get a swing going just from those uh, videos alone so if they want to do that they can follow me on um, social media i'm on instagram linkedin and uh, twitter and facebook so i'm uh, everywhere but uh, need to get further in my career goals so uh, yeah you can well, contact me anytime through yourgolfguru.com well you always have some interesting posts i've seen many of your posts all the time throughout social media and um you Thank were you. actually on my other program golf talk live several years ago um, uh, which airs on Thursday nights, and I'll have you on that show as well. And we'd love to have you come back on. I think there's a, a much bigger discussion that needs to go on, um, but we appreciate you taking some time this morning with us. Um, and thank you for uh, for really sort of watering down, if you will, how important it is just to go out and have fun. And uh, you can do that without having to, um, you know, put yourself in traction necessarily or have to overcomplicate the process. I think this is... I think, true. am I not right? I think that, you know, people want to just go out and have fun, especially in this day and age. Uh, people are excited to, you know, that want to learn the game. They don't want to be burdened and overwhelmed uh, with a lot of um, things that maybe are not necessary. They just want to go out and have a good time. And, and I think the easier we can make this game for people, I think the more likely not only are they going to come to the game, but I think that they're going to stick with the game and not get as frustrated um, so we appreciate you all that you're doing to help uh, further that cause. And we will definitely have you back on uh, on a future show as well. But thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you both so much for having me, and have a good rest of your day. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. That was Dr. Karan Kenwar, uh, LBJ Master Professional, and uh, as I said, holds many uh, certifications in a variety of different uh, genres uh, with the physical and, uh, and uh, uh, nutritional side of, of the body. And uh, very interesting uh, uh, individual. As I said, I've had her on before on the other program, but um, she really laid out a lot of things, uh, I think, in, in this discussion, and we'll, we'll definitely have her back. But on that note, uh, that's all, folks. We will see you next week. Thank you, Cindy, as always. And... Uh, Hopefully you'll have some warm weather this weekend. The sun's shining and uh, you'll have some good weather and no more snow and get back to uh, 
the things that we enjoy the most. But God bless everybody. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time here on the Women of Golf. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, Ed. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash women of golf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.